Let's go to the word of the Lord tonight. Hebrews 12 is where we'll take our, our text from in one verse there, 11. I'm going to talk to you about this. Discipline is, it is for our good. Now, we don't think about this topic very much. We don't even talk about it very much. Uh, because we serve a loving God, we serve a kind God, we serve a God that, and we've all reached adulthood, so we don't think of us ever needing discipline. <laughs> we probably need it more than kids need it. Uh, and, but it's because, simply because we have reached adulthood and we feel like we have, we have arrived, I guess you may say. But... Uh, but I believe, you'll, I believe you'll appreciate this Bible study tonight. Verse 11. Now no chastening or discipline, for the present seemeth to be joyous. In other words, none of us enjoy it, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That's a good that's just that's just a good verse all by itself. Now later on we're gonna we're gonna take in a few more verses because you know <clears throat> I don't like just taking one verse. I want you to know what's before it, I want you to know what's after it, I want you to know the context to which the writer was writing. But that verse right by itself is just a good verse. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Often we see God from the perspective of a deity that we can never please nor live up to his expectations. I mean, that's, he's such a holy God, we can never be that holy. His word tells me that my righteousness is, fil is as filthy rags and he has to clothe me with his righteousness. And it doesn't matter whether you're a heathen or whether you are the most holy pers person in the world, you still are not at God level. I mean, it's, we're still full of fault. We're still full of error. We're still full of, of things that separate us from him, but we feel like we can never reach that, his, expect, his expectation. It's easy to sell ourselves short in our relationship with him. So many times we catch ourselves doubting his love for us. Nevertheless, in scripture, he does declare his love for us along with his desire to bless us beyond imagination. And some of those testimonies, the testimonies you'll hear Sunday has to do with blessing. I will say this. I said Sunday, and I verified it with my wife to make sure, but I did say Sunday. There were blessings on the way for some that you had no, no idea that it was coming. And you're going to hear one of those testimonies Sunday. And uh, God just proves his word. He always does. Um, in scripture, 
God does declare his love for us along with his desire to bless us beyond our imagination. And I, and I know those are just words that seem to just fall off of our lips and they just don't seem to, we just, we don't take them, take them seriously. I think because all of us at some point struggle. And we think almost like a child. Well, then if he wants to bless us beyond our imagination, why am I struggling? We're going to talk about that tonight. His relationship with us extends beyond human comprehension. There's no way that you and I can, can comprehend God's feelings toward us, his desire for a relationship with us. We can't. Just as the Godhead is a great mystery, so is his kinship with you and me. There are many facets to our relationship with God, and, I, and you probably have never thought about it from this perspective. I mean, I, I've, I've been aware of it, and you probably have been aware of it as well, but far as putting it in this context that I'm about to show you, uh, we probably very seldom have ever done that. Because from the Old Testament and the New, he sees us as his children. To the first man and woman, he was their creator. And he was also a companion. They walked and they talked with him in the Garden of Eden. They had a relationship like none of us have ever had. However, to them, he also became a judge. When they when Adam and Eve both disobeyed. However, even though he cast them out of the garden, he still showed them mercy and love. And often we view, view God as a judge instead of a loving master. We do. He's not our judge now. He will be. He will be. But he's not judging us now. In the New Testament, we see him as Lord and Savior. And according to the Gospels and the Epistles, a new form of relationship was developed, and we were announced as the bride of Christ. So we are children. Um, now, a potential bride. I think if we look closely at the facets of relationship that I have just mentioned, we will find that in each facet of the relationship we view God through, it eventually becomes a relationship based upon family characteristics. Every one of those that I just read to you have a family characteristic um, or a family relationship to it. There's no stronger relationship that binds people together than a relationship based upon family or blood. There's an old saying that goes like this, blood is thicker than water. You've all heard it, and you probably have all found it to be true. <laughs> Never forget, I probably have told this, but we were on tour when Mark had recorded the I'm Having a Party Project and we were somewhere in the Carolinas, I don't know, North or South Carolina. And Mark and I had, an, had a few moments of intense fellowship. 
And, uh, but Mark and I have always argued. I mean, we always have, but that's never bothered our relationship. I mean, Mark and I are like brothers, always have been. So we could agree, we could disagree, it didn't matter. We were still okay, we still loved each other. It's just we knew how we, I had a different view from him and he had a different view from me. But we had a guy by the name of Doug that played keyboard for us. I mean, Mark and I were in this pretty, pretty heated exchange until Doug threw his two cents in. And when he threw his two cents in, Mark and I were like two dogs. We just both whirled on him. You know, and he's standing there like, what did I do? I'm, I'm taking up for one of you, you know. Uh, blood's thicker than water. I mean, Mark and I could argue with each other, but don't you attack either one of us. We'll take your head off. You know, that's just the way it was. Um, so blood th is thicker than water. It means, means we can have a relationship with friends that are very strong, but those relationships cannot compare to the bond of blood or family. And in a family relationship, parents are given the responsibility of raising their children. Who the children become sometimes seems to be a direct relationship of how they're raised. Now, before anybody begins to say, but wait a minute, then I want you to know I'm careful to say this is not always true. You and I have seen it as well. There are children that were raised by the best of parents in the best environment, but yet something in their nature never bowed to the disciplines that they were taught. And that, and that does happen on rare occasion. So when we see our relationship with God, how do we characterize this relationship? Is he our creator? Is he a judge? Is that the way we feel about him? Is he a loving master? Is he a savior? Do we see him as the as our potential bridegroom. Now, ladies, you don't have a problem with that, but us men do. I mean, it's pretty normal for men to, to not see themselves as the bride, okay? So, as ladies, you, you submit to that, to that relationship easier than we do. We compartmentalize it to, as men, we compartmentalize it to... Um, I mean, we, we understand that we are, in essence, all of us will be the bride of Christ. We do understand that. But it's just hard for us to reconcile it with our human minds. If you look closely, regardless of how we see him in Scripture, we will find him serving us as his children and even serving us as his eventual bride. Now, the revelation of his relationship with us being children to eventual bride may, see, may seem strange to someone that is not familiar with Scripture. And I can understand that. But often in Scripture, we are called children of the Most High God. But in Ephesians 5, we are given a blueprint for marriage. And in that blueprint, the Apostle Paul reveals to us that God has given us marriage just so that we would understand his relationship with the church and with us individually. 
And I'm not going through that whole setup again, but the one scripture that brings this and highlights it and causes us to understand there is a relationship. And since most of us in here are married and, and have a living spouse, we understand. And even for those of you that have a deceased spouse, you understand the truth of that relationship and how we were to function one with the other. But as Paul was writing this in Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33, there is a verse in there that says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In other words, all of that, that the marriage, the woman's role, the man's role, all of these things that, that he goes through, in the middle of all that, he throws this verse in there that says, I'm paralleling the marriage relationship with his relationship with his church. So after all these facets of relationship that we see in scripture, it's not surprising to me when we read our scripture text from Hebrews 12 and see the writer of Hebrews likening us to children of God. Now I've given you all this groundwork on relationship with God so that we may better understand our topic of discipline. The Lord himself said this in Revelations 3.19. As many as I love. Understand those words right there. As many as I love. I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. So when you feel that check in your spirit. You know you've done something you shouldn't have done. You've had an attitude you shouldn't have had. The word repent there doesn't mean ask for forgiveness. It means to turn from and don't do it again. How many of us in disciplining our children, we tell them, don't you do that again. Now you may tell them, you may give them time out in the corner and say, don't you do it again. You know, though, that the next time, if they should do it, time out in the corner is not going to work. The punishment has to step up a level. So you understand kind of where I'm, I'm headed with some of this. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Understand, and I'm going to say this again. It's in my notes later, but I feel like inserting it here. The Lord would rather save us than to see us lost. And whatever he's got to do to do that, even if it is painful, you would rather see your children grow up to be productive citizens than you had for them to just do, it, do what they want to do when they want to do it and wind up being in jail or, or worse. I mean, that's, you don't discipline just because they're not following your rules. You discipline them for their good. You want them to be better. Okay? Just like a good father, our God wants his children to grow and become more like him in integrity and in character. 
emulating him in all that we do and all that we are. We, just as children, don't like discipline. I can promise you that. In fact, a child sometimes will think or believe, Dad don't love, love me or he wouldn't discipline me. Maybe I, would, I should have said, Dad don't love me or he wouldn't spank me. <laughs> Our God sees that same childish nature in us still because we can't believe that God would ever be a disciplinarian to us. After all, we, we are adults. And he is a God of love. But church, this is why he disciplines us from time to time. He is a God of love. And he wants good things for us. And just like a child, when they're doing things that they shouldn't do, we understand they're headed down a road that is going to send them to a, an unexpected end that is not good. And so we discipline them so that they can do what is right and have a better life. I know we don't want to think about it, but sometimes hard times come our way just so that we may wake up and get back on the right path. It does, that, that happens. We don't like to discipline our children, but we know if we don't, they will grow up to be little heathens. It's as simple as that. Scripture talks about and I know we live in a day and age whenever there are parents that say, oh, we don't spank our children. Shame on you. I'm sorry. If, if you think that's rude of me and crude of me, then you think it's rude and crude of this. This says spare the rod and spoil the child. I wasn't talking about a rod, but it did talk about a rod. Now, I'm not for beating a child. Don't get me wrong. I'm not for that. But I don't think time out is really discipline. Okay. I'm right between my eyes. I feel it. We don't like to discipline our children, but we know if we don't, it's going to be bad. God feels the same way about you and me. He would rather discipline us than to let us continue as we are and miss the joys of our relationship with him. He would rather see us saved than lost. So, with that said, I want to dig into Hebrews 12 a little deeper. and We're going to back up and we're going to waddle our way through this down to the 14th verse. We'll start with verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of your blood. But he has. He shed his blood for us so that we didn't have to. And you, verse 5, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Now this is, I'm reading this from the NIV. And he goes on to say, my son, do not make light 
of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Why? Listen to verse 6. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. That's almost harsh. It really is. Because I, I remember Daddy saying things to me like, Son, this is when he's sitting there with that belt folded, you know, and he's getting ready to give me a few stripes. Daddy would say, Son, this hurts me more than it will hurt you. <laughs> and I would think, Right. <laughs> Then he would say things like, I'm disciplining you because I love you. Or really he'd say, I'm spanking you because I love you. And I would think, I wish you didn't love me so much. <laughs> None of us like discipline. None of us do. But let's look at it simply. Calvary hurt. Can I tell you that? Calvary hurt. Now, I could stop right there and we could just go ahead and go down that, down that vein altogether, but he died to keep us from having to. I heard someone saying the other day, talking about, it was a preacher, he was talking about the soul of man never dying. And that's true. And he was talking about the flesh would die. But I am also made aware that this flesh will come back together and mortality will take on immortality. I don't think in heaven I'll just be a spirit. I think I'll, I'll be tangible. You'll be tangible. We'll be able to shake hands. We'll be able to hug necks. We will be able to feel each other, talk to each other, and we'll be able to function just as we are here. And one of these days, I'm going to do a Bible study on my, my vision of heaven. He didn't go to Calvary so that we would pity, have pity on him. He wasn't trying to be a martyr. He went to Calvary because he loved us so much and he wants the best for us and he took some things that we didn't have to take. And I don't have time to go down that list of things that... But let me tell you something. And some of you can relate to this more than others can. But because he did go to Calvary, some of you were so deep into sin when God found you not when you found God he found you and he really didn't find you he knew where you were all along it's just he knew you had reached the end of your rope and he did what he had to do to pull you back Calvary that's what Calvary was for if Calvary had not happened, then you bowing a knee and asking him to forgive you of your sins wouldn't, wouldn't affect you at all. It would be words and lip service. But there is something about asking for forgiveness 
And if you have never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I recommend that you do so. It's the cleanest clean you will ever feel. Because the old man is gone at that point. You, whoo, mm, oh. When you, that's where we take his name on. That's where we become the bride. Or at least engaged, let me put it like that. Is when we, he doesn't put a ring on our hand, an engagement ring, but when we go down in his name and we receive his name and you understand when you are baptized, if you don't receive the baptism, you just got wet. Now you ain't, that's another Bible study I guess I should work on. You have to by faith accept that baptism. And when you accept that baptism, when you're baptized in his name, then that's when you, you get the name. You become his. And I'm telling you, there is something about the name. Because in that name, all of hell trembles. And in that name, there is nothing that is impossible and there is nothing that can resist that name. Mm. And let me go just a step further. When he invests his spirit in you and you are baptized in his name, then he has commissioned you to do everything that he ever did. And he gave you authority and he gave you the ability to do the same. And you are a walking, breathing, living representative of who Jesus Christ was when he walked the face of this earth. And I give him praise. None of that was in my notes, I'm sorry. Now I gotta find out where I was. I think verse seven, I think is where, yeah. Now listen to what verse seven says. Endure hardships as discipline. <laughs> what do we do? We pray to be delivered. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Now, did you just hear what I read to you? Endure hardships as discipline. Why? Because he loves us. It may come as a surprise to some of us, but everything that comes our way that is hard is not always from the devil. There are things that come from the devil. He's going to try you. There are things that we put on ourselves. Scripture says the Lord won't put more on us than we can bear, but we can. We can put more on us than we can bear. And then there's the things that come from God that are simply meant to get our attention. He either is getting our attention to to take us to another level in him or maybe we were headed down a path we did not he did not see as being good for us so therefore hardships come 
There could be a number of reasons why hardships come. He doesn't he doesn't discipline us or send hardships our way just to be a mean father. It is always, 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 always for our eternal good. And I didn't say just for our good. I said our eternal good. Sometimes God allows trouble to get us back on the straight and narrow. What happens to us when we get in trouble? <laughs> what do we do? Oh, God. Oh, God, help. Isn't that what we do? It is. And what happens? <laughs> we stop our foolishness because we're fasting and we're praying and we're seeking God to get out of this mess that, we, that we're in or this hardship that has come upon us and and because of us turning our heart toward him, we find ourselves turning away from what took us away to begin with. We find ourselves turning to him. Now you tell me, was the hardship worth it? I mean, in order to get you to return to him, wasn't a little struggle worth it? In order to get us back on the straight and narrow, if you're not disciplined, verse 8, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are Ill illegitimate children and not true sons. Doesn't that shock you? Let me read that verse again. If you are not disciplined, in other words, disciplined by God, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Our God is not the father of illegitimate children. Now understand, does that mean he has to discipline us? No, he don't have to. It's just that you and I are going to require it because we're flesh and blood and we're not perfect. I don't, in this, in this house, there's nobody in this house that had a more perfect child than Donna and I had. Don't tell him I said that. Don't tell him I said that. He didn't hear that up in the sound booth. How, nope. <laughs> However, I probably can count on one hand the times I had to spank him. I remember one time in particular. And I feel like God feels this way about us. We were in Waco, and the front foyer of the church had a long hall leading into it, a perfect place for children to have races, foot races, because that hall was probably like from the front door yonder to the office foyer back here. It was just a long hall. And for little four, five, and six-year-old boys, it was a runway. And I had kept telling him, don't you boys get out there and keep running. You're going to run into somebody. You're going to knock somebody down. You're going to run into each other. You're going to run into the wall. Somebody's going to get hurt. And then I finally had to say, if you do it, 
tonight I am going to spank you. And service was over. And we were all fellowshipping and having a good time and we'd stepped out into the foyer. And all of a sudden I heard these feet. Hit me. I looked down and who was it? My son. And I looked at him and I said, you go in there where your mama is. And when I get you home, I'm going to give you what I told you I was going to give you. Well, we went out to eat after church. He wanted to sit by me. He didn't want to sit with the other kids. He wanted to sit by me. And the place we went to eat had these hot yeast rolls. And he wanted me to eat his yeast roll. And he loved his yeast roll. So he wanted to feed me. And this is the day before seat seat belts were mandatory and we had to put kids in in child seats and all this stuff and from the restaurant to the house he was standing we had had a van then he was standing between Donna and me but he was hanging on to me he was buttering me up is what he was doing because he knew what was coming so we got to the little townhouse we lived in and we started up the stairs and got to the top of the stairs and our bedroom was to the left, his was to the right. I said, go to your bedroom, I'll be there in a minute. Why? Remember? Oh, he knew, he knew. I walked in our bedroom and she was in the closet, squalling, you're not gonna whip him, are you? I said, I promised him. I promised him I would. I promised him. What would, what would have happened if I haven't, if I didn't carry out what I, you know, then he wouldn't believe me whenever I said, don't you do it again. Trust me. When I walked in there and I used my daddy's words, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. And I explained to him why. And I told him, I said, okay, lay across my lap. And he willingly laid down across my lap. He was the sacrifice. That's right, baby. (laughs) She made a funny. (laughs) And I swatted him four or five times. Four, five, six, or ten times. I don't remember what it was. I walked back in the bedroom. She wouldn't even talk to me. (laughs) No. However, what did I what did I save him from? I know we had fun with that, but I mean I thank God for the way my son lives his life every morning he's in this prayer room over here around 7 o'clock when he was in high school I'm sorry Keith I know I'm embarrassing you but he was in high school his friends would pass by and his truck would be out in front of this church at 7 o'clock in the morning he'd be in here praying him and Uncle Leela if I hadn't been a man of my word 
and been the father, where would he be now? God feels that same identical way with you and me. If he permits us to do what we want to do when we want to do it, no matter how detrimental it may be to us, then after a while you're not going to respect him. Okay, 753, I'm almost through. Verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Hmm. Someone here may be thinking, I, I don't live for God or pursue God to be holy. I serve him to miss hell. Well, all I can say to you, my friend, is you missed, you missed the boat. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Without holiness, you won't see the Lord. Did you hear what I just said? Without holiness, you won't see the Lord. And I'm not talking about the outside. You better get it right on the inside. If you just dress it on the outside, you're missing the point and you will miss heaven because holiness starts on the inside. However, the outside is important. But get the inside right first. Then you will know how to get the outside and your actions and your dress and all of the things Follow peace with all men, holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Then multiple times we we're challenged and commanded to be holy. And we went through that in that nine-week course that I taught on holiness. Verse 11. No discipline, which was our text tonight. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You've been trained by your discipline just as we train our children by discipline. Isn't that what we do? We train them. Verse 12, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And it's 7.55, so why don't you stand with me? We'll, we'll wrap it up here. In fact, I, I, I really am into y'all being, I love it when y'all come down here, so just come on and we're going to end around the altar. While you're coming, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I repeat something I said earlier. Hardships, or hardship does not always come from hell. And as I said, sometimes they come, they either come from hell 
they come from things that we have done ourselves or maybe God allows them to come just in order to get us back on the right path. Whenever you go through something, you go through a struggle, you go through a hardship, you say, well, Brother Bruce, how do I know when the hardship is from the Lord? Because it's, it's, it, it's called conviction. Now, if, if, you're, if you're going through something and you're sitting there saying, you know, I don't know of anything that I've done, then it's probably not from the Lord, okay? It's probably not because of anything you did. It's called L-I-F-E, okay? And we get enough of that. But if you know your life is not going the way it should, and you begin to experience things, and you begin to feel it, then you know God's talking to your heart. And here's my point. You should at that point, instead of saying, oh me, you should be lifting your hands and saying, thank you for loving me. And not just letting me do what I want to do. I mean, the conviction comes because he loves you and is trying to get you back on the straight and narrow. That's the whole purpose. So hardships does not always come from hell. It may pay us when hardships come to take inventory and see if there is something that needs to change in our life. So I close with a scripture I used earlier. And it really describes the Lord and his love for us along with his reason for discipline. And that is Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. This verse was written to one of the seven churches. And some of you theologians may remember exactly which church that the Lord spoke this to. But in chapters 2 and 3, he has a message for each one of those churches in, in the book of Revelation. And this was to one of those particular churches. He says, as many as I love, in other words, I've rebuked you. I've chastened you. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. In other words, get busy and get it right. Because I'm disciplining you because I love you. And I want good things for you. I wonder how many blessings we have aborted because we would not listen to the discipline of the Holy Ghost. And we aborted the blessing. Somebody said it in, in, in close number two. Um, somebody said it, said that when we get to heaven, 30, that 30 minutes of silence is going to be us walking through this huge warehouse that's just shelves that are just stacked. And on those shelves will be people's names. And we'll find our name. And on, that on those shelves are blessings we never received. because of our own behavior. And we will stand there with our mouth open and say, you mean he had that for me? So 
if that don't make you think now whether that's going to really be the truth I have no Bible to back that up other than it does say there will be 30 minutes of silence I've also heard others say that we'll just stand there with our mouth open looking around saying wow so that, that could be it too I don't know I would imagine for me it's going to be I really made it <laughs> I see some of you shaking your head you're in the same boat with me I really did make it oh I'm here I'm here so why don't you just take the hand of the person next to you if you're comfortable doing so and let's just why don't you just pray a blessing on the person that you're holding hands with right now father in the name of the Lord we just bless one another we give thanks and we give praise to you for your love, for your greatness, for your goodness. Oh, such a wonderful God, such a gracious God, merciful God. Thank you for not throwing us aside and casting us out of, the, out of your presence. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you're constantly drawing us back to you. I give you thanks for that. Thank you for the times that you have stopped me and, and, and arrested me and brought me to a place where I had to depend upon you. Thank you for that. Don't ever, don't ever let me go down a road that I'm wanting to go down if it's not good for me. I submit myself to the discipline of the Holy Ghost. I submit myself to what you would want to do. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise and we give you honor and glory and we give you thanks tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen.